Good morning. Good to see you this morning. There was a farmer who had a large farm in rural Kansas, and he needed a hired hand. But it was hard to find anyone who wanted to move to such a remote part of Kansas where there's tornadoes every day. So he had a tough time finding help until one day this little old man showed up at his doorstep and said, I'll take on the task. I'll work for you. I'll be your hired hand. And the the farmer asked him, so are you a good worker? And the little man said, well, I can sleep when the wind blows. The farmer said, well, that, that doesn't make sense. What do you mean? He said, I can sleep when the wind blows. Well, he's so desperate for help that he decided to hire the man anyway, even though he's confused by his answer. And that was the best decision he could have made. The guy was a dynamo. I mean, he was a hard worker. He did everything that was asked of him and then some. But then the inevitable happened. A storm came one night. And the farmer woke up to thunder and lightning and wind blowing hard. And he went out to the living quarters where the little man was staying. And he shook him to wake him up. And he said, come on, get up. We've got to tie things down. We've got to get animals into the shelter. And the man just rolled over and looked at the farmer and said, I told you, I can sleep when the wind blows. And he went back to sleep. Well, the farmer didn't have time to argue with him, so he went outside to do all the preparations for the storm, and he noticed it all been done. Everything was tied down. The animals were in the shelter. All the preparations were made. That's when he fully understood what the man meant when he said, I can sleep when the wind blows. Can you? Can you sleep when the wind blows? Before you answer that question, think about this. How do you think Noah felt, Noah and his family, day after day, as the rains fell and the floodwaters rose? How do you think the Israelites felt walking through the Red Sea as Pharaoh and his soldiers were in hot pursuit? How do you think Joshua felt marching around Jericho? How do you think Daniel felt being thrown to the lions. How do you think the disciples felt immediately after Jesus had died? I think it's safe to assume that there was at least some measure of worry and anxiety, right? Yet Noah kept sailing. The Israelites kept walking. Joshua kept marching. Daniel kept believing, and the disciples, though they were distraught, they they kept on living. Worry, concern, and anxiety are ingrained within us. There's just no avoiding it. So this idea that I'm going to erase it from my life completely, it's just not going to happen. It's who we are. But what do we do when worry or anxiety overwhelms us? Can we sleep? In the third psalm, we find an interesting statement. Look there with me. Psalm chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. Selah. Remember, Selah just means pause, reflect. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain, Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of 10,000 people who have set themselves against me round about. Now, you got to understand what's going on around this psalm. Absalom and his men are in hot pursuit of David. The one who wrote this psalm, 
They're in hot pursuit of him. They're ready to kill him. They're hunting him down so that they can do away with him. And yet David makes an interesting statement. He says, I lay down and slept. How in the world can a person whose life is on the line, who's being hunted, how can a person in that situation lay down and sleep? That's where I want us to focus this morning. We've been in a series called Seven Ups for a Better Life, and the up that we're looking at this morning is give up. Now, give up has a very negative connotation in our culture. Giving up means that you're a quitter, and people don't like quitters. You're weak, you're cowardly if you give up. But I'm here to tell you this morning that you cannot be a true, dedicated disciple until you quit. Only quitters can be disciples. We have been through a lot this year, haven't we? Through last year, through this year, we have been through a lot. The pandemic has taught us a lot, probably. It's given us a lot to dwell on, a lot to think about, but there's also been racial unrest besides COVID. There's been economic unrest. There's been political unrest. There's been murder hornets. I mean, you name it, there's all sorts of stuff, right, that have been thrown our way that we have had to deal with. It seems like every day there's some new hardship or some new negative that we've got to, to face. It's been hard for some of us to find rest. And, you know, Amazon keeps track of its most downloaded books. Any idea what the most downloaded book has been over the last year? The Bible. And somehow they keep track of the most highlighted passages in these books. You want to take a guess on what the whole, most highlighted passage has been out of the Bible over the last year? It's been this one. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, solid advice, thanks, yeah, no more being anxious, thank you Paul, you said it, I believe it, that settles it, it's kind of like these, uh, these statements that you see that got kind of popular for a while, remember these, keep calm and carry on, how many of you when you see that on a t-shirt or on a poster or something, you just immediately feel this release of anxiety and worry, <laughs> of course this has given birth to some other similar type of sayings, Keep calm and call Batman. Keep calm and eat a cookie. I like that one. My favorite is keep calm and drink coffee. Of course, I can drink coffee anytime, whether it's calmness or anxiety. But do these really help? You know, pithy little sayings and bumper sticker theology doesn't really get it done when we talk about worrying and anxiety, does it? Do not worry. Okay, I won't worry. Obviously, there's more to it than that, right? There's more to the heart of this than we could ever imagine. It's like Paul's words in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious for anything. Well, how though? Because I am anxious. And now I'm even more anxious because you told me not to be anxious and I'm afraid that if I am anxious, then I'm sinning. So what am I supposed to do? Here's what I'm anxious about this morning. I don't want to make you feel worse about your worry and anxiety. I've seen that happen all too often. I've heard messages myself that, that seem to indicate that if you're stressed, if you're worried, if you're depressed, then there must be something wrong with you that your faith is broken and you need to fix it, or you don't have enough faith. That's the way it's often presented. And that's not my intent this morning. No, my intent this morning is to help you be a quitter, to assist you in being a recovering stressaholic. That's my goal this morning. And let me just say this. There are people who struggle mightily with a chemical imbalance. There are people who suffer from things like PTSD, 
there are very real anxiety issues that cannot be solved by someone saying, well, you're much too blessed to be depressed. I've heard preachers preach that. I've actually heard preachers say that if you just had a greater dose of faith, you wouldn't be going through these trials and tribulations. You wouldn't be stressed and worried. I'm going to cry baloney there. I don't believe that's true. I believe medicine and doctors are God's graces. I believe that there are things that people are dealing with that are beyond the realm or scope of anything I could ever imagine. So I think we need to avoid being judgmental or harsh or critical about things we don't know. We certainly don't want to be dismissive. For some, anxiety has reached a level in their lives that's going to be, need to be more than a, a pithy little church saying or a Bible verse to get them through it. Anxiety is very real. Try telling the woman whose husband is on hospice care, who's dealing with a mountain of debt, try telling her not to worry. Try telling the, uh, the parents who are pregnant for the first time and they've just been told that the child has some sort of defect, try telling, try telling them not to worry. Try telling the, the man who just had an MRI done and the doctor said there's a spot on your liver. We're going to do a biopsy. Try telling that guy as he waits a week for the results not to worry. Good luck, right? Worry and anxiety are very real things that real people deal with, and sometimes that's a good thing, right? Sometimes it's good to deal with anxiety and worry because it can lead to taking the proper measures to help you overcome whatever it is you're going through. If you're dealing with chest pains over and over again, you may be concerned about that, and so you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, yeah, you need, you know, you need bypass surgery, you need stents, whatever. That's a good type of worry or concern. If a tornado is bearing down on your hometown and you're thinking, well, I, I need to do something here. I might need to seek shelter. That's a good thing, right? To be worried and concerned about that. If you're a parent, I would hope that you're concerned or worried about your child's spiritual welfare. Because if you are, it's probably going to mean that you're going to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you're a shepherd in the Lord's church, I would hope that you are concerned about the welfare spiritually of all the people that you are shepherding. So, Worry, concern can be a good thing. Paul even said, among all those other things that he dealt with, all those physical hardships, he was concerned about all the churches. Certainly we should have concern. Certainly worry and anxiety should be something that spurs us on to action. But I want to talk this morning about anxiety that overwhelms us, that consumes us to the point that we're no longer functioning in faith. And let's get this out of the way. When Paul said, do not be anxious, he's not condemning the emotion. I don't believe that at all. He's not condemning feelings of anxiousness or concern or worry. These words here appear in the Greek present indicative, which means that it's ongoing. Paul's talking about something that's continuous here. In other words, Paul says, do not live in a perpetual state of anxiety. Do not live your life in constant worry. And Paul gives us a simple strategy for getting out of a prison of worry, just look at these words before and after his admonition to not worry. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
As for the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, you want to overcome worry? You want to get out of this prison of anxiety? Here's what you do. Rejoice in the Lord always. Pray. Dwell on righteous things. And do the things that you have been taught. The things that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul taught you. You want to be able to sleep at night? You want to sleep when the wind blows? You want peace that surpasses all comprehension? Then go to God. Sounds too simple, doesn't it? But that's really the heart of this. Is going to God when we feel overwhelmed. Let me ask you. Where do you go when you're worried? Where do you turn when you're anxious? Where did you go during the pandemic? Some of you went to the gym until they shut the gyms down, right? Some of you turned to exercise. You got in shape. Some of you went to your family. You took advantage of the sheltering in place and decided you were going to draw closer to your children, use that time to to be closer to them, closer to your spouse. Some of you went to politics. Some of you went to alcohol. I hope not, but maybe. Some of you turned to things that maybe weren't enriching for your life. Some of you turned to things that weren't healthy for you. Some of you maybe turned to things like Netflix or a hobby. Where do you go when you're worried? Where do you turn when you're anxious? Because we all go somewhere, right? Some of us, of course, were anxious because we couldn't go to those things that we used to go to, like movies and restaurants and you know, things like that. We all go somewhere when we're worried, when we're anxious. We all turn to something. Anxiety will drive you somewhere. Worry will steer you in a direction. So which direction will you go? And here's where we should go. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus offers rest to the stressed. Sound too simple? Perhaps. But maybe it is that simple. Maybe it really is just that simple. Perhaps come to me is all we need to hear And really the only remedy that we need. You go all these other places looking for peace amid the storms and and you can't find rest. None of those things give you rest. Jesus says you can lay your weary head down here and you can sleep here. With me there is rest. But you've got to be willing to give up. You've got to be willing to, to give up control because that's what worry is all about, right? That's what worry is all about. It's about control. You worry about the things you cannot control. You don't worry about the things you can manage. You're worried about the things that you can't control. That's why you have worry. Remember Mary and Martha? We've talked about them before, but Martha's going about trying to make sure that all the preparations are made so that she can have the perfect dinner and provide the perfect place for Jesus to come and enjoy some fellowship and eat. Martha wants to make sure that the, the bread isn't stale, the Diet Dr. Pepper isn't flat. She wants to make sure that every preparation is just so. And you could understand that. If, if the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, was coming to your house, you'd want to make sure that all the preparations were just so. However, in all her worrying about a dinner, in all her devotion to dinner, she became anxious, which led to frustration. Frustration with her sister, but also frustration with Jesus. And notice how Jesus responds to her. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. By the way, when Jesus says your name twice, 
you better strap in. Insert your name in that verse, because you could. Connie, Connie, why are you so worried, you know? Larry, Larry, why are you so worried? Chris, Chris, why are you so worried? Every one of you could put your name in this verse. This is our verse. This speaks to us, because every single one of us are a Martha at times. Every single one of us. This is our verse. We've all been in her sandals. We've all been stressed when we should have been still. We've all been anxious when we should have been at rest. We've all been worried, and we've all chosen the lesser part. We should be sitting at the feet of Jesus, but instead we're running around as fast as our little feet will go. Jesus had so much more to say on the topic of worry in Matthew chapter 6. And like Paul, he says something that seems too simple, really. He says, do not worry. Do not be anxious. Okay, then I won't be. But you know as well as I do, it's not that simple, right? For someone just to say, including Jesus, do not worry, it's not that simple. But here's why we see it as so much more difficult than what it really is. We want to zero in on the emotion. Jesus zeroed in on the devotion. That's the key. We want to focus on the emotion and how that drives us and what that does to us. But Jesus focuses on the devotion. He's not condemning the feeling. I mean, we were made with a nervous system. This is how we are, right? This is how we're wired. He's not zeroing in on the emotion. He's not condemning the emotion. He's saying, what are you living for? Look at the words of our Lord in Matthew 6. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or, or what you will drink, not, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus asked the question, what are you living for? What are you living for? What are you pursuing? What are you chasing after? What are you running to when you're worried or anxious? What are you devoted to most? He says, do not worry about what you will wear, about what you will eat. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. The Gentiles refers to those who didn't know God. The ones who don't know God are going to pursue these things, but you know God. You know what God has done for you in the past. I mean, he parted the Red Sea. You don't think he's going to feed you? You don't think he's going to give you clothing? Think of all that God has done for you up to this point. You don't think God's going to take care of you? You personally. Think about you. Think about your current situation, as overwhelming as it may be. Has God taken care of you all along? You don't think God's going to continue to take care of you? This is not a love you and leave you kind of thing. God is in it for the long haul, and we've got to be as well. Jesus asked, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Is there not more to life than this? Of course there is. Then in verse 33, Jesus defines what the more is. Is not life more than? Yes. And here's what the more is. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Because that's the better part. That's the better part. All these other things you're turning to when you're worried, those are the lesser things. Maybe important things to you, but they're not the best things. Is not life more than? Yes, life is more than. Certainly it is. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. You don't get that good part unless you pursue Christ. You see, what you're worried most about is what you're most devoted to. What you're worried about most is what you're most devoted to. The emotion follows the devotion. It's just the way this works. Whatever it is that you're devoted to will directly affect your anxiety level. To put it another way, 
Your over-concerns reveal your over-loves. Whatever it is that you're over-loving is what you're going to be over-concerned about. What's controlling you and what are you trying to control? Because anxiety is about losing control, right? That's why you're anxious. That's why you're worried because it's something you can't manage. It's something in your life that you can't control, but you need to quit. You need to give up. The exact thing you need to do is give up control. You need to lose control. Quit living for things that control you but don't redeem you. Let me say that again. Quit living for things that control you but don't redeem you. Hang on to the one thing that you cannot lose. When you're going through worry and anxiety, turn to the one who can give you peace. You will never have peace. You will never sleep until you cling to the one you cannot lose. Look with me at Matthew chapter 4. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. After dismissing the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a fierce gale of wind developed, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling with water. And yet Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the seas obey him? So here we have the storm before the calm, right? The disciples represent all of us. It's all of us. We, we, like them, have, are, or will be caught in a storm at some point. And when we find ourselves taking on water, the question of the moment will be the question that Jesus asked his disciples on the boat. Where is your faith? The disciples were anxious and afraid. Why? Because the circumstances were beyond their control. That's when worry is at its highest. When the circumstances are beyond your control, when you can't control the storm. Now, let's give credit where credit is due because I, I think the disciples here get a bad rap sometimes. And I think we just assume that Jesus is speaking in a, condem- uh, a condemning tone, and I don't believe he is. The disciples were on the boat with Jesus. That's a good thing. If you're going to be out on a storm, if you're going to be in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm, you know where the best place to be is? On a boat with Jesus. Sailing with Jesus. The second piece of credit we need to give them is the fact that when the storm was raging, when they realized that they could not manage it, when they were out of control, so to speak, they turned to who? To our Lord. They did realize that when they couldn't manage things in the situation, the best thing to do was to turn to Jesus. When things were beyond their control, they turned to the only one who could get it back. Remember, some of the disciples were experienced fishermen. No doubt that they had been in a storm out on the sea at some point. But this was one they couldn't manage. So they turned to the only one who could give them peace. And that's really the key. As long as we believe that we can fix it, we don't need Jesus. Why do you need Jesus if you've got everything under control? If you think you can manage everything, then you're not going to think you need Jesus. When the storm is too fierce, when the tempest is raging, when the floodwaters rise, when the stock market is plunging, when your marriage is falling apart, when the doctor says, we've done all we can do, when your boat is in danger of sinking, where do you turn? 
Where do you go? And I think you know the answer. As long as we can manage things on our own, we don't need faith. As long as our resources and our skills are equal to the task, we don't need faith. As long as faith is in ourselves and our own abilities, we don't need Jesus. We only need him when things get out of hand. And guess what? That's going to happen. So, instead of concentrating on the emotion, you focus on the devotion. What are you most devoted to? You will never have peace until you turn to the source of peace. We think of peace as the absence of conflict. That's not what peace is. Peace is not the absence of storms. Peace is the presence of Jesus. Again, don't assume that Jesus is chastising the disciples. I I think what is spoken here is out of love, and I also think that he is asking it in an effort to shift their focus. We We would do just like the disciples did. You know, if Jesus were here and he were to ask you in the middle of your anxiety, where is your faith? You'd say, well, in you, right? I mean, that's what we would say. That's how we would answer. What's in you, Jesus? Really? Really, is that where you're turning? Is that where you're going? Is that the direction you're headed when you feel consumed with worry and anxiety? Jesus is trying to shift their focus. He's trying to take their focus off the storms and onto him, right? He's trying to get their eyes back on him. So he shifts their focus away from fear and back on faith. But the question does something else, too. When he asks, where is your faith? It causes the disciples to recall all the things that they had witnessed and seen. Where is your faith? Consider the evidence. You've seen me perform all these miracles. You've seen me exercise demons. You've seen me heal people. You've seen me do all these things. Don't you think it's going to be okay? Don't you think I'm going to take care of you? Look at my track record. It's flawless. When it comes to taking care of you, Jesus says, I'm undefeated. You can trust in me. You can take the promise to the bank. If he can control the weather, don't you think he can control your storm? If he can alter the laws of nature, I'm pretty certain he can handle my problems, aren't you? Even though a storm was raging, the disciples could have laid down and they could have gone to sleep next to Jesus. And so can we. Because like I said, peace is not the absence of storms. It's the presence of our Lord. Several years ago, off the coast of New Jersey, three different fishing vessels sank killing at least 10 people all in the span of, a, of about a week or two. Now, these, these vessels didn't sink because they weren't seaworthy. They didn't sink because the captain was incompetent. They sank because they were taking on too much of a load that their ships couldn't handle. You see, they got greedier and greedier. As they hungered for more and more profit, they began putting too much weight on their, on their vessels. They began adding 10 to 15 tons more fish because the more they, they added, the more profit it would turn until eventually they found out the hard way that they were trying to function in a way in which they weren't designed. They were trying to, to make these ships function in a way in which they weren't designed. And we do this all the time. 
We think it's absolutely normal to race around from one activity to another trying to fit 25 hours into a 24-hour day. We think it's perfectly normal to rush through this, this life at a turbo pace trying to accomplish all these various tasks. We think it's perfectly normal to race around and do so many other things, to turn to so many other things and to pursue so many other things that aren't godly. And then when we can't manage it, when things get out of control, then we look for peace. And we find it so elusive because we're looking for it in things that aren't righteous, that aren't godly. We're allowing worry and concern to override our faith. And here's what Jesus says in the midst of the storms. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, give up. Quit. Let me be in control so that when the storms come, you can sleep. Can you sleep when the wind blows? If you don't have peace, get it this morning. There's no reason for you to leave here this morning without peace. If you need the prayers of this church family, if you need to study the Bible with someone and begin seeking what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, if, you, if you're ready to put on Christ in baptism to begin a daily walk with God, if you're, whatever your need is, if you need to, to do a U-turn and get back on track, don't leave here without peace. But understand, peace is not about the emotion, it's about the devotion. And peace is not the absence of storms. It's the presence of God. If we can help you come as we stand and as we sing.